Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and thank you for taking the time to join me again this week. A special thank you to my Patreon sponsors whose generosity keeps the podcast on the road and ad-free. You can sponsor me by visiting patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. I've been recording these interviews for nearly six years, and as we approach 300 episodes, I've started listening back to some of the insights and ideas. One thing that rings true in just about every episode is the Camino is not like any other journey in the world, and that's saying something. It's not like the Appalachian Trail in the United States, it's not like walking from Land's End to John O'Groats in the UK, or the Bibbulmun Track in Western Australia, or the 88 Temples in Japan. The Camino is unique. It's unique, I think, because pilgrims on the Camino reach out. They extend a hand to other pilgrims. They listen. They share. I've heard so many stories of Camino angels over the last six years. People telling stories of remarkable coincidence and kindness that can only be attributed to the collective generosity and devotion of the pilgrims who find themselves on the Camino from all four corners of the globe. If you're new to the podcast... Welcome. I hope you enjoy the stories and ideas we share here. I hope you take inspiration from the pilgrims who have decided to make the Camino part of their lives, and in turn, part of their families' lives, part of their communities, their parishes. The joy the Camino community can bring and share. There's a certain rhythm to the Camino. Walk, eat, sleep, repeat. And you get into a stride where you feel relaxed and comfortable. It's not easy, not by any stretch of the imagination, but you do get fitter. You do get more capable of overcoming obstacles, of climbing rises and navigating declines. And you hope to take those skills home with you to navigate the ups and downs of life. The Camino can also be an inspiration. People like me write songs about it. Pilgrims write poems like Carrie Stage's poem I read a few weeks ago. Pilgrims paint and draw. Pilgrims take photographs, they make movies and videos. Pilgrims write blogs, they record podcasts. And there's something about the Camino that inspires pilgrims to write books. They might be novels inspired by the Camino, or a travel log, a diary of their journey, their journey on foot and in their heart. I read a quote once from the American author Pam Allen. She said, reading is like breathing in. Writing is like breathing out. Well, my guest this week is not just breathing out. She's breathing life into characters seeking to empower and nurture women, to give women a voice, a voice to find their identities and their voice on the Camino. Tara Marlowe is on the line from Tasmania. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. Nice to be here. Okay, let's start with you tossing in your day job, giving into your wanderlust and taking off because you are the poster girl for pilgrims all over the world. <laughs> you just you just like you did what everybody dreams, right? You gave up your day job and traveled. I did. And it was it was a long-term dream of my own. And um, you would probably hear from many of those who I worked with uh, in that corporate life that, that was always my plan, that once my daughter went off to university, that I was going to start traveling the world by, you know, traveling the world and um, seeing what I could find. So you ended up, you, you spent quite a lot of time in the United States. How did you end up there? <laughs> like every story that you, that you hear, a guy, ah. <laughs> there's always a, a relationship involved. 
Um, yeah, I actually met my um, first husband through a an exchange student that we had staying with us when we lived in Sydney when I was 13. And um, she was getting married when she was 18 and she invited my sister and I to be two of her bridesmaids. And so we went to the US and that's where I met my future husband, who was also, you know, her younger brother. And, um, you know, back in those days, or probably, it's probably the same now, um, red tape to be together when you're living in one country and in love with somebody from another country, um, we decided to get married. And so we did. And it happened the day before my 21st birthday. Wow. So I was very young, but um, a year, we got married in Australia and a year later I moved to the US. And the, the plan was only to go there for five years and, you know, see what we could do there and um, turned into 20. Wow. I'm fascinated by the life of an expat. What was it like to look at Australia from the United States? What was that view like? Well, of course it was, be and I'm ageing myself here, um, it was before email had really, you know, taken off, yeah. um, before cell phones, before FaceTime, before Skype. Um, so Australia seemed like it was a very long way away. And, um, you know, my parents were still alive back then. It was... Um, you know, you, you always got the American view of Australia, The and I'm groaning as I say this, the shrimp on the barbie and, um, you know, that kind, of, that kind of idea. But a lot of my growing up was similar to what the stereotype was. Um, my parents actually lived on a farm, but um, I had grown up around the beach in some way so you know summer's on the beach on christmas day and um you know that kind of idea was that was my life but it just seemed like it was a very long way away mm. um but once email kind of came into it um you know it, it made that connection a lot shorter i guess yeah did you feel your australianness if there's such a word waning well like were, were you becoming more american and was it a challenge to keep that Australian identity? Uh, I clung to my Australian um, Australianism mm. uh, or my Australian-ish ways uh, very tightly, as much as I could. Um, I, I did become more American and probably my when I would come home to see my family, they would kind of make fun of my accent because it was very American, you know, the longer I was there. One, and, of course, I, <clears throat> my first husband was American and my second husband is American. Um, my daughter was married, was, sorry, my daughter was born in America as well. Um, and as, once she was, I think she was about six weeks old and I got a, uh, an Australian citizenship for her, so she has dual citizenship. Um but, you know, it got to the point where I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to move home because mm -hmm. of my situation with my, um, with the custody arrangement. And the first opportunity that we had, we, we just, you know, leapt at it. Um, so we actually moved back to Australia when my daughter um, was 13, I, 13, 14, Um and when it came time for her to go to university, she had the option, of course, being a dual citizen, which university she wanted to go to. 
and she had no intention of moving back. And to be quite honest, I've, I've said this to my husband, I have no intention either. Um, of course, I live in Tasmania, so, yeah. you know, why would I want to? Um, but, you know, I've had my experience there, but I also had some amazing experiences. I made some amazing friends that I'm, you know, still very close to. Um, I owned three houses, not at the same time while I was there. And, uh, you know, the price of, of real estate in Australia in comparison was I, I never thought that I would ever own a house. And here I was, you know, buying a house at 23. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the the opportunities that I that I had there were were vast and I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But, yeah, I, uh, I, I was very happy to move home. Yeah. Australia is a very unique country. The, there are pockets of Australia that many never get the, the good fortune to get to visit. And you mentioned there that you live in Tasmania. I love Tasmania. And if, if you're listening from somewhere around the world and you don't know where or what we're talking about, Tasmania is a state, an island at the south of Australia. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. Tell us about life where you live. I am very fortunate to live where I do. I'm on the east coast of Tasmania and um, not far from where I am. I am actually closer. There is a sign that um, says that we are closer to Antarctica than what we are to the Great Barrier Reef, which Whoa. blows me away. <laughs> That's but, great. But um, those winter days where we get the Antarctic winds, mm. uh, it, it truly feels like that. Mm. But um, we... Uh, after my daughter went to uni, my, my husband and I started traveling uh, full time and uh, we kept on coming back to Tasmania. We were doing house sits and, you know, opportunities kept on popping up here. And, um, you know, we we went to Europe a couple of times and came back and, you know, we would always end up in Tasmania. And when it came time... When it, when it got to that stage, we were like, you know what, we just need a home base somewhere. We just need to stop for a little while. Um, we looked at Tasmania and the place that we live in used to be an Airbnb. And we reached out to the homeowner and asked him if he would be open to renting to us. Um, and he, he, you know, agreed, which we were very thankful for. And uh, we've been here now for three years and, you know, it was very fortuitous because it happened right before COVID. Wow. Um, so the place that we are in is very quiet. Uh, it's an amazing place to be creative. Um, the only, we don't hear any traffic where we are. The only thing that we hear is the ferry that goes out to Mariah Island, um, you know, a couple of times a day and the fishing trawlers that go out. Um, but otherwise, it, it's very quiet and, you know, neighbours are, are lovely and it's just, it's very laid back and just um, just the perfect spot to be. Your website is called Crackpot Writer. <laughs> yep. Why Crackpot? Come on. What's with the Crackpot? My writing process is a little different, I think, than a lot or or at least... I'm a little more open about my writing process. Um, I get very inspired by my dreams, the not the ones of traveling the world and whatever. It's the actual dreams in my sleep. Um, my first novel that I wrote called Beneath the Surface, I wrote in 2016. And um, while we were living in Sydney, 
and I actually woke from this dream and thought, oh, man, that would make a really great scene for a book. I need to write that down. And so I did, and I was still writing 18 hours later, uh, just trying to get this, and it just kept on coming out of me. And since then, I, I have really started to take note of what my dreams are, which is quite funny because growing up, um, I would come to the breakfast table in the morning and here's my dad with his crossword and his cup of coffee and, you know, he'd say, right, oh, kid, tell me about your dream. And, you know, it would be, uh, I would tell him about the dreams that I would have. And it never clicked with me until after I had that first dream for, you know, the dream about my, the scene in my book. Um, and so, you know, I started really taking note and I've been writing down and, I get to the point now where my characters actually talk to me, uh, where my brain is just very relaxed and usually that state in the morning where you're not quite awake but you're not really asleep and, you know, so I, I do share that with my readers and, you know, it seems a little bit of a crackpot way of uh, of writing but, you know, I'm open about it. So mm. I'm fascinated by that connection with your dreams. That's really fascinating. I. I... I think that's wonderful. But let's go to now the book and, and, and the Camino. How did the Camino come into your life? Um, back in those days of my corporate life, um, I was in a job where I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I was living vicariously through travel bloggers. Um, and one travel blogger that I that I was following, um, her husband one day gave her a one-way ticket because she wanted to go and check out what this Camino de Santiago was about. Mm. And um, so I started following her blog and I I have actually gone back and, and read the blog since walking the Camino and thought, well, there wasn't really anything, you know, that amazing about the blog post. So it must have been something that triggered something in me and thought, well, I want to know a little bit more about this. So I did more research. Um, and it wasn't until 2018 that I had an opportunity to go. And, of course, it was once my daughter was in university. Um, she was off. She'd been in for about a year, so she was a little bit more settled. And um, so, yeah, I, I went to Europe via <laughs> New Zealand, the U.S., Iceland, England and France mm. um, to then go and walk the Camino. And did it have an impact on you immediately? Was it a slow burn? Tell us about how you felt and, and the friendship you developed with the Camino. I was <laughs> I was very nervous. I was very anxious when I got to Sejon Pitapur um, because when I got on the plane to um, from Stansted, Stansted Airport in London, um, my knee gave out on me. Uh, going upstairs to get onto the plane. And so I was really nervous about it. Um, and I'm, you know, typically a slow stroller anyway. Yeah. Um, so starting out, I, I took it very slow and I was uh, walking up over the Napoleon route and um, stayed in Orison the first night. Um, but I was very, I was in a, at a stage in my life where I didn't know why I was walking the Camino, but um, I was just open to the experience and um, I met some people on that first night in Orison 
and uh, found that they actually walked a much faster pace than I did. And so they were gone, you know, by day two. Um, I met up with them again in uh, Pamplona, but, I mean, they were walking the next day and I was needing a rest day at that point. So I knew I was never going to see them again. But um, by day three, um, I met a couple from Canberra who um, were slow strollers like I was and started talking and found that we had a, a lot in common. Um, you know, we both, we we between the three of us, we were writers, um, we were artists, we were, um, we talked a lot about the business of blogging and um, because at that stage I was a travel blogger myself and uh, just trying to figure out what was next because the travel blogging thing wasn't quite working and um, so it was it was a very revealing thing to to be in such conversation with people who were very like-minded but also very different than yeah, I was yeah. and um, and I, I found that with a couple of people that I met along the way that I probably would never have a, a friendship with you know otherwise yeah um, you know they, they I don't know um, but one thing that it did did um, reveal to me was you know my own strength and who I was and I didn't realize still by the end of you know why I walked the Camino until I got home um, and it wasn't until I really kind of thought about some of the questions that this couple had asked me one of them was are you happy or were you happy where you lived growing up because um, one thing that they said to me was I talked a lot about the place I grew I, I was growing up more than I talked about anything else. And I didn't realize my connection with that place. And um, so, yeah, it, it really wasn't until I got home that I really kind of started thinking about what was next. And um, and as they say, the Camino uh, doesn't stop in Santiago. No, it, that's it, right. No, that's yeah. for sure. Why do you think the Camino inspires us, Tara? inspires us to write books and blogs to write songs to make podcasts what is what is it that inspires us i think it's because it takes away all the noise of everyday life mm. um because uh, you know i think that it's you know it goes back to what you were saying in the beginning that it it takes it back to the very basic parts of eat sleep you know, repeat yeah. and eat, sleep, walk, repeat, sorry. Yeah. Um, but it it just strips away all of the, the noise and the busyness of everyday life and all of the obligations that we have and all of the, you know, the shoulds and the must-dos and whatnot. Um, and it allows your brain to kind of think about yourself, which sometimes can come across as a selfish thing to do, um, but I think it also allows you time to look inward. Mm. And I think in life you don't really get the opportunity to do that unless you're in a situation like the Camino. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so when people ask you about the Camino, how do you describe it? Challenging, beautiful, inspiring, um, and I, I recommend it to everybody. 
no matter what their fitness, what their age, I recommend it to everybody. Everybody should have this experience in their life. Yeah. Let's talk about your book, Camino Wandering. We won't give away too much. It's about Aubrey, a 50-year-old who has to overcome enormous anxiety to even start a Camino. Her life is in ruins in a sense, and she decides that the Camino is a place to start to rebuild. But before she even steps onto the Camino, she's convinced herself it will end in failure. Why? Why does she think that? Yeah. I think it's probably because she has she feels like she's failed in her life mm. because of you know everything that has happened to her over the previous couple of years she's in a, such a state of um questioning her life and the decisions that she has made and you know the the path that she's taken and you know kind of how how has she come to this place? And she's in, you know, such a place of depression, I think, that, mm. um, you know, she just thinks that it, it it's her son that, that recommends the Camino to her. Yeah. Um, but it's, for her, it's going to end up in failure, but it's a nice way to kind of bury her head in the sand for a while because she doesn't want to deal with anything else. You know, she can't deal with anything else. Yeah, yeah. It's... It's there's a, there's a the very first page I think it is where she swears like, <laughs> and I thought I was reading it I was thinking oh that's really funny, but there's also a sense very early on that um, in the pilgrimage she starts to enjoy herself but she doesn't want to share too much of her story right, mm-hmm. and the other people she's meeting are telling. The same story, yet she keeps it to herself. She keeps her struggle to herself in some ways. Right. So why why do women in particular struggle to open up, do you think? Uh, okay, so there's two parts to that that I want to actually um, talk about, if I might. Um, so first is the swearing part. Mm. Um, and I, I know that the Camino is very much a sacred place. And um, I have had some readers be offended by the swearing um, in the book, but I think that it is one of those things that um, for most people, it the, the Camino is, is very challenging. It's very hard. And it's the idea of walking 800 kilometers is just overwhelming. And the anxiety, I mean, I, I follow a lot of the Camino groups and um, just I, I, I listen to, especially on the Camigas group, I listen to the anxiety that a lot of these women have about walking this, you know, this taking this journey, not just the distance, but taking the journey. And, you know, <laughs> most people that I walked with, there was at least one or two F-bombs that came out of their mouth. If or if not an F bomb, it was you know they were they were swearing in some way. So I think that swearing does happen on the Camino, whether it's internal or external, um, because it is a, a challenging thing. And I you know I wanted to make the book as realistic as yeah. as possible. Yeah. Um, but you know going back to the the question of of women and, and why they're reluctant to open up, I think it goes back to 
you know, we all want to think that we are, you know, good mothers, good partners, good, you know, friends, but internally we we do struggle. And it's, I, I think... I think it's one of those things that, especially when when you when you consider social media and how we all like to give off the best of our lives on social media, um, it it's another part of the Camino that I love because it kind of strips away that as well. You know, you you really get to expose yourself to you know your struggles and. Um, and I think that in real life, it, it's harder for women to do that, to to say, hey, I need help. And I think it's harder probably for men to say I need help. But um, but I think it, you know, we're, we're so uh, ingrained to, mm. to show the best of ourselves that it's, you know, that is a bit of a challenge to do. And especially with, with this character, Aubrey, you know, she's she's grown up in a upper class you know, um, environment in in her childhood, and then once she moved to Australia, you know, she was expected to look and be and do as a successful businesswoman, as a successful wife. But um, yeah, I, I think she struggled with that, and that was what she struggled struggled with a lot throughout most of the book. Yeah, yeah, and it's. It's because of what she's been through that makes it so hard to imagine a future, if you like. Yes. And that's how, that must be a very difficult thing for not just Aubrey, the character in your book, for for women in general. And men, I suppose, to find yourself at a place in your life where you can't imagine a future worth embracing, in a sense. Yeah, and I think actually all three characters had that in some way. Yeah. You know, they couldn't quite see their way through to figure out what was next until they started opening up and yeah. until they started, you know, questioning um, their own lives and decisions and, you know, um, that kind of stuff. But I think, I mean, I even when I was walking the Camino myself in 2018, you know, I was... Uh, I was actually separated from my husband at the time. Um, I had left him <laughs> in Tasmania. Um, and, you know, it was because I, I needed to figure out what was next for me because, you know, we were kind of at a stage, we had been already been traveling for about a year together. And I was at a stage in, in my life that I, I didn't know what was next. And I, I couldn't see where I fit into the picture. So... If Aubrey, your character, is finding it difficult to imagine a future worth embracing, you were in the same you were in the same place. How much of the how much of the book is about you? <laughs> uh, I've actually had people ask me which character is, are you in Camino Wandering, and um, it, I would say, and I think this is the case with all authors. You know, we always put uh, a little of ourselves in in our stories, um, but. You know, I tell people that I am spiritual like Aubrey. Um, I'm logical and I persevere like Pam and I'm creative like Georgina. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that my story is the same as Aubrey's. You know, it was, um, I could see a path forward. I just didn't know what the path looked like. Um, whereas Aubrey's was just, she she pretty much given up hope and yeah. she really just didn't know where to go yeah. or, or how to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is it important for women to be friends with other women? Hmm, that's a good question. Probably because... I mean, I'm a I'm a huge advocate, and this is the case through all of my books. You know, I I think that it's about time in in the world. You know, we're in a place in the world now where we really need to lift each other up. It's time to stop cutting each other down, and I find that um, I mean, especially coming from a, a, a very competitive environment. Um, in a workplace um, where, you know, you you kind of, you know, not not cutting people down, but it, it getting over that competitiveness, I guess, yeah. um, you know, moving past that and seeing that, you know, if women support other women, it makes the world a better place. It makes things kinder um, and it, you know, it, there's more, support and there's more love and there's more um friendship and if we share that and if we share the good things that happen in the world then you know maybe we can make some changes but i think it we're at the stage uh, you know and, and i think we, i feel like you know this needs to have happened many many years ago but you know women tend to cut each other down. I mean, if you look at, and this has happened to me numerous times in my life, um, but, you know, when one person looks at another, the first impression is what they look like. And to me, I I don't, uh, I, that's not right. It's not what we should be doing. It's, you know, I have noticed, and this is actually since the Camino, I think, that I notice things like, wow, they have an amazing smile or look at how their eyes sparkle when they talk about, you know, certain things. Um, you know, I think it's time that we need to lift women up versus cutting each other down. Wow, great. And, and I think that's why we, you know, female friendships are so important. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. I've explored the concept of pilgrims opening up on the Camino many times here on the podcast. Mm. It's one of the true joys of the Camino. You find yourself talking to strangers and you also find yourself listening to strangers. Why, yes. do, you, why do you think the Camino lends itself to this self-exploration and, and this openness to listening? Probably going back to, you know, if you strip back again the noise of everyday life. And I, I was reading something the other day that, you know, one of the questions that that people ask in in life outside of the Camino is what do you do? Mm. And yet on the Camino, that's one of the last questions that's asked. People don't necessarily care what you do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that the Camino, you, you go from, you know, hi, I'm Tara from Australia to having the most deep and meaningful conversations of your life um, and I, I think we need to have more of those conversations in everyday life, but people are so afraid to, you know, um, to be vulnerable that 
um, to to show their their fears or their anxieties or you know whatever that it people are reluctant to do that I think and the Camino allows that because you know you may never see this person again in your life or you know um, they may be more open than you are and just their vulnerability makes you vulnerable you know willing to to be open and Mm. to be vulnerable as well yeah yeah there's a lovely passage in the book and I, i it took me directly back to to my own experience on the camino it's when georgina aubrey and pam um kind of take a little step off the path to iglesia de santa maria de winyate the 12th century romanesque church Mm. I'll just read a little bit from the book, if you don't, if you don't mind, Tara. No, sure. Pam was giddy about the diversion, especially when she told them the history behind it. It was once believed that the church's origin is connected to the Templars, but its construction is the result of a family saga, juicier than a ripe orange. It's also built in the shape of an octagon. So if the drama doesn't get you, the unique architecture might, Pam said. And she said, I'll explain more when we get there. And Ben said, and the other character, Pilo, said they'll they'll meet later that day in Puente Lorena. And then you write, The day seemed never-ending as they walked the long, straight road toward the church. They wore wide-brim hats to block the intense sun. The swirling wind kicked up dust that lined the back of their throats, and Aubrey was doubting the merits of this detour. When they arrived, a crowd had moved on, so they had the place to themselves. They walked through the archway to gaze at the octagonal wonder, then waited for Pam to read them the juicy background. When I think of my day in that church, it takes me back. But it's also in that moment when the three of them are in that church that I imagine that Pam, Aubrey and Georgina, in particular Aubrey, is not worried about everything she would normally be worried about. And that's the joy of the Camino, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Just being able to distance yourself. And as you said a couple of times now about being able to just leave that behind. The Camino is also, though, and in the friendship that the three form, is an opportunity to, to engage and inspire. So through the, 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 the meeting of, of the three friends and the development of that friendship, they're not only just supporting, they're inspiring one another, aren't they? Mm-hmm, yeah. And it's in that inspiration that there's a light for Aubrey in the darkness of before. It's fabulous. So Camino Wandering is a book one of the Life Upended series. Tell us about Life Upended. Um, well, all three of these characters have had their life upended in some way. Um, and, you know, this is book one. Um, and as I mentioned before, and, and as I've heard you say many times, you know, life doesn't end at Santiago. It does continue on. So, um, you know, book two is one that I have just released, and that's called The Decisions We Make. Um and it is not these three characters. It's not Aubrey, Pam, and Georgina's story continuing. Um, it's actually the story of two other characters who live in the same place that Georgina is from, um, or actually 
that they have a connection to the place in where Georgina is from. But the the lovely part about it is that you get to see the influence or the wisdom that Pam, Aubrey and Georgina have found on the Camino and how they bring that into the lives of others. And so in this next book and the decisions we make, um, you know, the and I'm, I'm probably not this uh, I'm probably not going to be giving away anything by saying this, but you know, at the end of the book, of course, they are encouraged to walk a Camino themselves, um, which leads us into. Mm. Um, but you know, it's I I think that with Pam Aubrey and Georgina, they are kind of in the same generation of you know early fifties to early sixties. In book two, it's two women in their late 30s. And so I, it doesn't matter what stage you are in your life. Your life can be upended in, in many, many ways. Um, and it's really just finding finding your way through that, And um, which is actually the name of the third book, is Finding the Way. Um, and... So we we find the characters back on the Camino or walking the Camino, and um, it, it's you know it, it's a it's a lovely way to kind of share women's stories in a different way. I think. Yeah, but it's also a way to to share Camino stories too. Uh, yeah, uh, the 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 three of them are in the cathedral in Santo Domingo. And the chickens, they see the chickens. And, and, <laughs> right? yeah. and, uh, I can't remember which character what says, my chickens are much happier than that. And they're all sort of laughing and they're wondering, are they the same chickens from 700 years ago? And it's, <laughs> So there's little little pieces of, of the Camino woven through the book as well, um, yes. which is lovely for a pilgrim like me to read and revisit those things. Did you write as you walked? Did you have an idea for the book before you went? Tell us the process of of how the Camino wound up being Camino Wandering, the book? I actually journaled uh, while I was walking. Um, I, I've walked the Camino twice, so once was solo in 2018, and then I, I did it with my husband after we reconciled in 2019. Great. And uh, I journaled both experiences. Um, and when I finished the Camino in 2018, um, I I wasn't sure what was next. I actually had written my suspense novel and it had been with an editor while I was away. Um, and that was the one that came out of the, the scene, the dream scene. Um, and so I knew that I was going to finish writing that book, but I started thinking about my Camino and then after the Camino with, with my husband, um, I thought, well, okay, I'll write a memoir and I'll talk about the differences between the two experiences. And 90,000 words later, um, you know, the memoir was written and I, I just thought it's a snooze fest. Nobody will want to read this. I, I don't want to even read this. <laughs> and it's I was, a snooze fest. It's a snooze fest. <laughs> Um, and it was kind of, well, either that or I was going to really end up, you know, just having to explain myself of, okay, how can they be so different? And, you know, with my uh, walking with my husband, he's he's not, he, 
let's just say he calls me a Camino tragic and I wear that, that proudly. Um, but he didn't get, uh, he didn't have the connections that I had, but he had a very spiritual journey, um, that he likes to, you know, keep to himself. And, and, and I totally respect that. So knowing that that was the case and, you know, trying to put that into a, a, my own memoir, I, I just didn't want to disrespect him that way. Um, and plus, you know, having already written a fiction, I know that I love writing fiction so much more than I like writing nonfiction after being a travel blogger as yeah, well. Yeah. And so I started thinking about looking through my journal and, and as you said, picking out all these pieces that I absolutely loved of my own journey and thinking, how can I weave this into a story of some kind? And um, it's Camino Wandering actually started as being the story from three points of view. So it was going to be written from Aubrey, Pam and Georgina's points of view. And that just got way too confusing. So kind of scrapped that and then went back to um, went back to the beginning. And as I was writing it, um, you know, more of Aubrey started coming out and mm. I thought, okay, I know where this is going now. And of course it's, you know, I have this, I have the scenery. I know exactly the setting for the book and um, just kind of weaving that into the story. And um, it, it really was like walking another Camino. Um, and as I'm writing the, this third book now, I feel like I'm walking the Camino again. Right now I'm in Zabiri and it's, you know, <laughs> I'm dealing with sore feet and sore muscles. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it was kind of interesting to kind of take my own experiences and kind of weave those through. Um, and, and of course, bring out those beautiful places on the Camino that just, you know, <sighs> yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> I know. I feel exactly like that when I was reading the book, because there was one line, um, I can't remember where they were, but the, the, the chapter, I think it actually starts with, um, they were enjoying their second breakfast of coffee and, <laughs> and I'm like, second breakfast, that's such a Camino <laughs> thing to say. And I laughed out loud. I thought that's so funny because you don't even have to explain it or anything, but a pilgrim knows, you know. I, no. think, I think I walked maybe my second Camino. There was a group who called themselves the Second Breakfast Club, like a Camino oh, really? family. Yeah, they, you know, they, that's that was their name. You know, they proudly had their yeah. second breakfast. It's so funny, isn't it? <laughs> So well, funny. I've had people say to me who have read it, um, who have walked the Camino, um, it they feel like they've they've walked another Camino with these characters, and they would love to have that experience of walking with these characters. Um, and then I've had other people who have never walked the Camino before, and they're like, "Wow, I it it was very um, very realistic." And you know, one woman actually thought it was a memoir. Um, but no, it, it, it's not. <laughs> but um, but because the, the setting is so vibrant, I think um, in the story that you know it, it really does kind of put you back on on the Camino Francis and just you know makes you feel like you're right there with the lovelies. As yeah, called. Ex- yeah, exactly. And and one scene in particular um, when the cruise to Ferro. Um, mm. That for Aubrey is, I mean, she she sort of stumbles upon it in a way and says, oh, really? Yeah. But then it's almost the insignificance of it that 
rings most true with her, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, that's a lovely moment in the book. Oh, look, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really did. It's it's a great read. And I look forward to reading second and third parts as well. But I just wanted to ask you, because you've done clearly a lot of reading and a lot of thinking about these things, but these are stories about women overcoming seemingly insurmountable challenges, revealing who they are and what they're made of. If someone's listening right now and they'd like to take that journey, what's a good first step? Read my book, of course. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, a good first step would be pack light. Don't think about all of those things that you think you should take because you probably, you know, or, or things that you need to take just in case because you don't need those just in cases, mm. you know. Um, but I, I think too is the other part, I think the more important part, um, and a friend of mine actually wrote a, a blog post about this, about how your fears are the weight of your pack. And um, I think that is probably a really good way of thinking of it is, you know, if you take a light pack and, you know, you are open to the experience, you'll, you'll just have an amazing journey. Wow, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Is there another Camino on the horizon for Tara? Probably not for an, an, the next year or two. I've, you know, been listening very closely about, you know, um, the experiences of people taking the journey at the moment and the idea of having a mask on for 40 hours flying from Tasmania to, to Spain doesn't appeal at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm considering the... Uh, Kumano Kodo in Japan mm-hmm. um, and, you know, maybe maybe doing that. But, you know, that will probably be another year or two as well. So I'm not quite sure. I'm still I'm still mulling that one over. Yeah. I have a, a book to finish first, but yeah. um, I'm not quite sure yet. Well, what a wonderful place you've chosen to base yourself to be able to re- write like this and, and be creative and be still yet moving at the same time. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, Tara. It's a great read and it took me back to the Camino in a heartbeat. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I can't wait to read the next installments of the Life Upended series. In the meantime, Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Thank you for having me. My guest this week was the Australian author, Tara Marlowe. You can find Tara's books at thecrackpotwriter.com. Thanks again to my Patreon sponsors. You can sponsor me by visiting patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. My quote this week was from the American author Pam Allen. Reading is like breathing in. Writing is like breathing out. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere